All right. Um, we are going to jump right into Scripture this morning. And if you have a Bible or you have a Bible to have you follow along with me this morning, we're going to actually be in a book called John. If you've got a hard copy of the Bible, it's about three quarters of the way through. Um, it's written by one of Jesus' closest followers. His name, you guessed it, is John. And we're going to be in uh, chapter 5, starting right at verse 1, where Jesus is visiting the city of Jerusalem. Uh, by the way, Eva and I didn't connect this week about this, but the, the story that she told in worship is the story that we're about to read right now. So, kind of crazy. Here we go. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem... Near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So just picturing your mind, here's this pool in Jerusalem, and it's this beautiful, pristine pool surrounded by these five colonnades. And here the Bible says, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so here's Jesus. He's, he is going to the city of Jerusalem, which back in that day, in that particular region, was the center of power, the center of um, political power, and just, it, it was the center of culture. And here's Jesus. He shows up in Jerusalem, and I love how he doesn't concentrate his, his time among the rich and the famous, you know, those that could be uh, the most financial in their social clout to his mission that he's on. No, instead what he does is he goes where the broken are, he goes to the places that most people would actually avoid because those places were uncomfortable. Imagine you, this is the, kind of what it would be like if you decided this coming weekend, hey, I'm going to go down and hang out in Seattle, except rather than go downtown Seattle where all the, you know, the, the posh restaurants are and the trendy areas of Seattle, you go, I'm going to instead go find the biggest homeless camp that I can find, and that's where I'm going to go spend my weekend in Seattle. That is what Jesus is doing here. He's visiting a pool with what the Bible says are a great number of disabled people, which in ancient times were the homeless of society, were the outcasts of society. And why are they all gathered around this pool? Well, they're gathered there in hopes that they're going to be healed. You see, there, there was this, this ancient superstition surrounding this pool, and it was actually pretty common back in, in ancient times to have this, this superstition about specific pools. But they believed that a healing angel would come along and stir the waters occasionally. And when the waters stirred, the superstition was that the first one that was in the pool would be healed. And so you can imagine around this particular pool, Bethesda, where all these people have been, that there's, there's a little bit of hope, but I'm sure also a lot of despair and hopelessness going, these people have tried for years to get in this pool and be healed, but it hasn't happened. And the Bible goes on to say that one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years is a long time. I mean, think back, 38, so 38 years ago was 1984. 1984, I was 10 years old. Uh, Michael Jackson's album Thriller was just crushing the charts. There was no smartphones, there was no internet, there was no high-def TVs, none of that. I was 30... 38 years ago, a long time ago. And this man has been stuck in despair all those years, but he's about to be introduced to Jesus. The Bible says in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Seems like a funny question. 
Uh, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And, and the man answers Jesus' question, but kind of in a roundabout way, right? He, you see, this man's, his theology is very messed up. His ideas of God and healing, all that, it's, it's very messed up. His belief about God is, he is superstitious. He doesn't know about God's grace. He kind of pictures angels and superstitious powers, stirring water, and God's this like first come, first serve kind of, kind of person. His perspective on life is messed up. He sees himself as a victim. He's blaming others for his, his condition. Everybody else gets in the water first, and just I just can't, I, I can't get in there. And none of that matters to Jesus. He's not there to debate the man. He's not there to correct this guy's wrong beliefs. Jesus, Jesus is there to heal the man. He's there to set him free. And the Bible goes on to say that, that Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And that once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And they all lived happily. Not quite. This story is, is not over. See, so far in this story, we have a hero, Jesus. And, and, and we have uh, the rescued, this man. And now we're about to meet the villains of the story. The Bible says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. The Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And interesting, as we're starting this new series on Jesus, one of the things that you're going to see quite a bit, unfortunately, is that the villains in a lot of the stories about Jesus are the religious people. And in this particular story, they're, they're not at all happy that this man is breaking a religious tradition of that day. According to their tradition, he was not allowed to carry a mat on the Sabbath because the Sabbath day was for rest. And so if you were picking up a mat, you were actually breaking the law by working on the Sabbath. And so these, these guys see this, and that's the first thing they notice. Never mind that this guy has been unable to walk. He's been invalid for 38 years. Never mind that this, this day for this man is the, the happiest day of his life. He has hope again. He has peace again, joy again. To the religious crowd, none of that matters. All they care about are their rules, their traditions, their way of doing things. They were the exact opposite of Jesus. Where Jesus just wanted to see the man finding healing and freedom, they wanted to fix all of his bad behavior. And we could stop and preach that all day. And we will probably be coming back to that. But, you know, it's so easy for us, especially if you've been around the church and you've been immersed in church culture for years. I think the longer that you're immersed in church culture, the easier it is for you to do this. But, but to get to this place where you allow tradition, rules, our way of thinking and doing things to become more important than people's souls. And Jesus here, he's got this perfect moment. The door seems wide open to correct this man's wrong thinking, thinking that had led him to a hopeless, broken life. And Jesus instead heals the man. He, he sets him free from whatever had been binding him up. And then what does Jesus do? He doesn't stand there, stay there to preach a sermon to get this guy all straightened out. No, he just disappears and he, he walks away. And the religious people, they want to know what's going on. They show up on the scene they see this man carrying his mat. Jesus is nowhere to be found, and they want to know, okay, what is going on here? Why is this guy carrying his mat? Why is he breaking the rules? And, and they're not interested in knowing about how he got healed. They, they want to know who healed him, and they want to know why he didn't teach him to follow the rules. 
And the man doesn't quite know how to respond. And so as the religious people are, are trying to figure out why he's doing this, he simply replies to them. He says, the man who made me well, notice he doesn't know who Jesus is. He just says the man. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Who is this? The man is asked. He, you see, he, he had just been introduced to Jesus for the very first time, but he has no idea who he is. He doesn't even know his name. He just knows that he couldn't walk, and now he's walking. And, and I wonder this morning, do you remember the first time that you were introduced to Jesus? Do you remember that? Like, if you were to look back, maybe for someone here, it was just the last couple months. Maybe for someone else, it was way back in the day. You know, I don't remember the exact moment that I was first introduced to Jesus. Um, I grew up in a, a home that was very devout in their faith, Christian faith. I likely heard the name Jesus for the first time when I was probably still in my mother's womb. But I do, however, have memories of me first becoming aware of who Jesus is. I can remember as a kid, um, I, I, I was taught songs like, Jesus loves me. Songs like, Jesus loves the little children. And, and being so young, I, I couldn't really grasp all that that meant, except that some guy named Jesus apparently uh, loves children. And then when I was in third and fourth grade, um, the church that I was a part of, we had this program a lot of you were a part of back in the day, if you've been around the church, called Sunday School. And Sunday school was basically um, an hour before the morning service would start on Sundays. Um, whoever wanted to be a part of Sunday school would show up, and we'd have different adults in the church that would teach us uh, different lessons from the Bible. And it was in Sunday school that I not only became aware of Jesus more and more, but it was there that I was introduced to one of the greatest inventions of all time, the flannel graph board. And uh, for those that are going, what the heck is a flannel graph board? Those that are 35 and under are going, what is that? Well, a flannel graph board was basically this, like this, this board that you would have, and it was covered in, in flannel, and, uh, and the teachers would have these different little cutout cut figures, and on the back of the cutout figures was velvet, and, and so you would be, if they were telling this story that I read this morning, if they were telling that story, they'd have a little cutout of Jesus, and they'd slap Jesus on the, the flannel graph board, and then they'd have a, a, a little cutout of of the pool, and then there'd be some people around the pool all slapped on the board, and so the, the flannel graph, Jesus would move along the board to the man and heal him. Those were the days, right? And, and it sounds so exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but, you know, what can I say? Those were the days of, that's like the Pong generation, where we were so enthralled by, anybody play Pong back in the day? Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and Pac-Man, and, and we were just so much more easily entertained, I guess, back in the day, but... But I remember the, the Jesus on that flannel graph board, and he was always this kind of waxy-skinned, pale-faced dude, long, flowing hair that would make any 70s rocker dude jealous. And there was other pictures that we had in Sunday school. I remember one picture that you've probably seen this too if you're, you've been around, where Jesus is there in the meadow, and he's got this little lamb draped across his shoulder. He's this tall, handsome dude. And I got the sense, though, that this Jesus guy was a really good man, um, that he was nice, but at the same time, kind of weak and, and kind of boring. 
And then when I was around 10, my parents uh, let my brothers and I watch this British-Italian TV series called Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, the Jesus in this series looked even worse than the Jesus on the flannel graph board. This Jesus looked kind of scary. Um, he was gaunt, skinny, solemn, with these like deep, haunting eyes. He looked like some guy that would be hiding out, hiding out behind 7-Eleven, wanting to sell weed to middle schoolers or something. I mean, he's a scary-looking dude. And then later on in my teen, teen years, I encountered a different Jesus. And I was actually pretty blessed in my, my youth to be a part of a church that, that taught how I could know Jesus as a friend. And we would sing other songs in this church. One of the songs that we sing all the time was, As the deer panteth for the waters, so my soul longeth after you. Sounds like a Shakespeare play or something. But this Jesus was a Jesus that was to be desired. A Jesus who satisfied. And then as a 15-year-old, I remember very clearly being a part of this, this youth conference where uh, myself and a bunch of other youth just felt like God was leading us to surrender our lives to Him. And so myself, along with a bunch of other teens, we surrendered our lives to Jesus. And I walked down to the front of this church building with tears just streaming down my face and surrendered to Jesus. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. And I was even a little afraid, but I just felt the Spirit of God compelling. And I would say that that was probably the first time that I encountered the presence of Jesus, and He became more than just a figure on a flannel graph board. Then in Bible college, I was introduced to a different Jesus. Um, actually, a surprising number of doubters. It was a bunch of 20-something-year-olds who had grown up immersed in church cu culture who had all these questions about who God was and who Jesus was. And they introduced me to uh, a Jesus who was controlling, angry a lot of the time. A God who just wrath, who sent plagues everywhere and, and was doing a pretty bad job with the problems of pain and suffering. And this Jesus was always disappointed with me because I, I just never quite did a good enough job of following him. I could just never quite get my devotions dialed in. Just was never reading my Bible enough or praying enough. And, and this growing sense that I was this massive disappointment to him actually spilled over into the first church that I was on staff in as an associate pastor. And we had people in this church that I just, I just thought God liked a lot more than he liked me. People that were always saying things like, the Lord told me, or God spoke to me, and I just could never quite figure out why he would speak to them so much, but he would never speak to me like he was speaking to them. And, and the, it's like these were the, the people who had this the, the special, cool gifts, and, and, and like the, the, the smart kids, you know, kind of thing. And Jesus, he was clearly playing favorites and just liked them a whole lot more than he liked me. And, and like the religious people of Jesus' day, I found myself wondering, who is this person? Who is, who is Jesus? Was he the dull, moody guy from the movies? Was he the, the solemn, boring guy on the flannel graph boards? The guy who was to blame for the fact that I was sitting there in Sunday school instead of being out in the forest or fishing with my friends? Was he just a fickle lover whose love for me was strong but only when I was performing well and on my best behavior? Or was he a control freak who had this distorted idea of what love really, really is? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And Karl Barth, he, he was probably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. He had this, this analogy that he used to capture what it's like knowing Jesus. 
Imagine you have a, a man standing at his, his window, gazing out over a crowd of people, and, and this crowd of people is covering their eyes, and they're looking up in the sky, and they're, they're just, they're all mesmerized by what they see. But the, and the man in the window strains to see what they're looking at, but he can't quite see because there's this overhang on the house. All he sees is these people looking, but he just can't quite see what they're pointing towards. In our viewpoint of Jesus, 2,000 years after he came in the flesh and walked this earth is, is similar. A lot of people are looking to him. A lot of people have seen him, but because he's no longer here in the flesh, people have developed their own ideas of, of who Jesus is. For Constantine, the great Roman emperor of the 4th century, and to the crusaders of the 13th century, Jesus was a powerful God who was there to keep them safe from their political enemies, he was there to help them to, to conquer their foes and win all these holy wars. Even right up until the 1960s, um, this, this picture of a military Jesus was present. The Cuban government actually had a, a time where they were passing out these pictures of this Jesus who had a, a rifle slung over his shoulder. Then there's a picture of Jesus that was developed in the early 1900s by businessman Bruce Barton. To him, Jesus was, and I quote, the world's greatest business executive, a winner. A strong, magnetic man who could inspire great enthusiasm. To former, former Miami Dolphin lineman Norm Evans, in his own words, he saw Jesus to be like a big, tough football player. He wrote, I guarantee Christ would be the toughest guy who ever played this game. If he were alive today, I would picture a six foot six, 260-pound defensive tackle who could always make the big plays and would be hard to keep out of the backfield. Not to be outdone, one former New York Yankee saw Jesus more as a no-nonsense baseball player, writing, I firmly believe that if Jesus Christ was sliding in second base, he would knock the second baseman into the left field to break up the double play. Others like evangelical leader Jerry Falwell would agree with this assessment of these pro athletes. He once described Jesus saying, he was a man with muscles. Christ was a he-man. And then there's all the different ideas about who Jesus is from all the different world religions out there. In Islam, he is seen as one of, the, one of God's highest-ranked and most beloved prophets. Sikhs view him as a highly-ranked holy man. In Judaism, on the other hand, uh, Jesus is considered the, the most damaging of all false prophets. In Native American spirituality, Jesus is referred to as the Great Spirit. Um, for some Hindus, Jesus is just another good teacher— for Mormons, he's not the eternal God, but rather just below God as the firstborn of God. Um, for much of the church, Jesus is actually the opposite of the manly man that you heard described by these athletes. Instead, he's more like Prince Charming from Shrek. Um, remember that guy? You know, he, he's someone whose mama is the real hero of the story, and Jesus is just kind of some kind of mama's boy with like teased up blonde hair, and he's a little bit of a, of a wuss, a little bit of a sissy. And no wonder, if that's the picture that a lot of people have of church, no wonder men in particular tend to stay away from church. You know, I wouldn't want to follow that guy either. Then there's atheists who, depending on the atheist that you talk to, they view Jesus slightly different. Some atheists believe that Jesus was nothing more than a Jewish, Jewish preacher from 2,000 years ago. And then others believe him to be a character invented by men for, for selfish gain. But who is Jesus? And it's a question that, that has been asked from, as we just saw, the, the, it's been asked from the very first day that Jesus showed up on the scene. And people were, were constantly trying to 
either fit him in a box or they, they were trying to figure out who or what he was. The disciples, they, they were following Jesus, and just when they thought they had Jesus, was, um, the Bible tells about he, on one time, he, he goes to tell the wind and the waves to stop blowing, and, and, and the, the Bible tells about how they responded. It says, the disciples, as they're sitting there in the boat with Jesus and everything calm, the disciples were amazed, and they asked, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And then there's the religious leaders. They're, they're desperately trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. And just when they thought they were beginning to understand who he was, he would do something outrageous, something that only God could do, like, like forgive sins. And the Bible captures how they responded. In Luke chapter 7, 47, it says, The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And then as Jesus ends his ministry and gets close to the, the, the end of his time on earth, he's, he's been around the region for three years. He was very, very famous. Most people knew who he was. Um, but then just as the people think they know who he is, it's, it's been three years of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. If you're in Jerusalem on this one particular Passover weekend, here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. The Bible says the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And they asked this question, who is this? Who is this? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is Jesus? And more specifically, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You know, is, he's a, is he the, the founder of Christianity? Is he some religious guy you you'd like to maybe know more, a little bit more about? Or maybe he's some religious guy that you go, I just want to keep my distance from him. Is he a control freak? Is he really loving? Or is that just a show for him to get more followers? Is he good? Is he evil? Is he nothing more than a good teacher? Is he nothing more than a prophet? Is, is he just some figure from back there in history? Who is he? And I find that it's amazing how you can live your whole life thinking you know who Jesus is and then one day realize that you were wrong. One day realize that you were wrong. I've been, as I shared earlier on, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor. Heard about Jesus all the time. And I thought I knew who Jesus was. And then, then I think I shared last week how, how one day I read this book called The Jesus I Never Knew. Written by, by a guy named Philip Yancey. And I was shocked at how I thought I knew who Jesus was, but I, I really didn't. And, and I believe that what Jesus wants to do over the next several weeks as we get into this, this series is that he wants to reveal to us who he really is. Not who church has made him out, him out to be. Not who religion has made him out to be. Not who your, your, your teacher in your history class has made him out to be. But I believe that what God wants to do is he wants to show us who he really, who he really is. And as we, as we look into who Jesus really is, I wonder if you'd be willing to pray the following prayer with me. And the prayer is this. It's very, very simple. Jesus, I ask you for you. For the real you. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Would you pray that prayer, though? Jesus, I ask you for you. 
There was another time where, where people were asking about who Jesus is, and, and the Bible says that they asked the question, just, just who is this Son of Man anyway? This is in John chapter 12. Just who is the Son of Man anyway? And Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Instead, he says, put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the light, God, of who you are. God, to walk in the light is to walk in the knowledge, in the fullness of who you really are. And Lord, I pray, God, that, that Jesus, out of our time this morning, that God, you, will, you, you would have and will continue, Jesus, to put in each one of our hearts and souls, Jesus, a hunger, God, to know you more. God, if we're honest today, God, if I'm honest, God, the things of this world, God, have meant too much. God, they've been bigger than you in my life. God, the worries of this world have been bigger than you in my life. God, the problems, the stuff I'm going through, God, has been bigger than you in my life. And Lord, what I'm praying, God, for myself and God, for all of us, is that Jesus, regardless of what is happening in our hearts, God, regardless of where we've been, that Jesus, out of that, Lord, God, a hunger and a desire, Jesus, to know you more, God, would stir within deep, deep within each one of our hearts. God, I pray that, God, for the teenager in the room today. God, I pray that, Jesus, for the 20-something-year-old who's just trying to figure out who you are. God, I pray that for the person in the room, God, who has, has, has been following you the, their whole life. God, I pray that for the person watching online who has just got in a place of just trying to figure out life and, and what is truth and what's not truth. God, I pray for each person, God, who's listening today, that Jesus, from within their heart, God, a desire and a deep hunger and thirst for you would grow. God, we want to know you more. God, we want you for you, the real you. So Jesus, make yourself known to us, I pray. Make yourself known to us. And Lord, I, God, I just want to, this morning, just take some time, God, to pray for, for us. God, Lord, I'm sure there are people, Lord, who are, God, listening, God, who are like that person that was sitting by that pool, who's full of despair and hopelessness. And God, just broken. And Jesus, I pray, Lord, that, that whatever it is, God, that's going on in their life, that Jesus, you would, you would speak that word of hope. That God, you speak that word of healing. And that God, you would do something in their life, God, to just let them know that you're for them. God, let them know that you care. God, let them know that you love them so much. God, work in their life, we pray. God, I'm so thankful, Jesus, for you. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you've revealed yourself to us. And God, I just look forward to going deeper in who you are. God, I pray for all of us that, Jesus, we would, this week, God, be like those children that you spoke of, God, who walk in the light, the light of the world, we pray in your name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, we're going to...